Do, do I need this here, or can I push that away? I'll push it a little bit. All right, everyone say push it. Okay, that's good, man. Hey, I am so thrilled and excited to be with you guys this morning, and, uh, and I just want to uh, just say thank you so much, Brother, pa- Brother Sammy, for extending an invitation to share your pulpit with you, and uh, man, you guys have an awesome pastor. Can you just give, just honor him today with a big round of applause? I mean, just, just getting to know him and his heart for uh, not only the, the church, but the community as a whole has just been a real pleasure for me and everyone else involved. I just, it's been so great as a guest of this house to feel so welcomed, and, and you guys do a fantastic job of that. So from the bottom of my heart to everybody who has done such a great job of, of working so hard for the event that took place last night, but also making a northerner feel welcome, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm excited about what God is going to do today, but first, you know, I'm a very responsive preacher, uh, and that means I, li- I like for you to talk back to me. So, so we do a little bit of practice, okay? I'm not going to stretch you too much today, but just a little bit. So everybody, if you would, just give me an amen. amen. You're good at that. Haven't I? Now, now, what I like to t- say a lot is come on. So if you would, give me a come on. Come on. Now, if you were in a, in, 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 a, in, a, in a Baptist church, maybe somewhere else that, I have that I've had the wonderful privilege of preaching in, some of those folks would say, mm-hmm. So can you give me a little mm-hmm? <laughs> yeah, all right. You don't quite got that one, but that's okay. Hey, I'll tell you what. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've lost weight. <laughs> Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're pretty good looking. <laughs> now, you can pick whichever you want and turn to him and say this. You look like the person. Help me. Say, you look like the person. Hold on, let's start over, okay? I know this is different for you guys, but that's okay. I tell you what, you're not going to have to put up with me for a long time, I promise. So look at somebody and say, you look like the person who's going to take me out to lunch today. Yeah, I see, I, I knew I'd get you. I see, see, sometimes you just got to stick with me. I'll, I'll get to where I'm going. You just got to hang out a little bit. Hey, I'm very excited, man. I tell you, there are, there's nothing in the world, there's nothing in the world that I love more than preaching the Word of God. And I'm so honored to do so today. So if you would, let's just go to the Lord in prayer over the message and what he wants to speak to our hearts this morning through it. Father, I thank you for the privilege to speak your word. I thank you for the opportunity to be entrusted with this privilege. I thank you, Father God, that you desire to speak to us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would, that, that you would hide myself behind the cross and under the blood. That every word that I say would be birthed from your heart. I thank you, Lord, that this word was anointed as it was stirred, and it will be anointed as it's birthed, and it will go forth as good seed on hearts ready to hear, and ears, or on hearts ready to receive, and ears ready to hear what you want to say so that it would produce fruit in our lives 30, 60, and 100 fold. We ask all of this in your precious name, in Jesus' mighty name we say, amen. All right. I've had the privilege of staying with uh, uh, Jason and Tony Hester, and um, they were just fantastic hosts. Yesterday morning, probably the highlight of it is that they took me on a dove hunt, and I found the fastest shooter in Alabama, and his name is Jason Hester. Now, shooting fast doesn't necessarily that you get a lot to show for it, but I'm telling you, he can pull the trigger quick. Now, if, 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 uh, if, if taking dove home was was something they needed to survive all i'm saying is it's a good thing that jason married tony because she's someone who can shoot a little bit so that was awesome and so uh, that was a lot of fun and i I do appreciate that but we're going to start off in galatians chapter five 
And uh, if you would, you, you can just follow along with me. And I'm going to read verses 15 through 18 and 22 through 25 in Galatians chapter 5. So the word says, But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. Verse 20 through 25 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit, say fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those, be, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, the fruits of the Spirit, I mean, this is something that goes all the way back from the time that we were all in Sunday school, right? We believe, learned the lesson, we've heard the song, we sang the song, and a lot of us just have it in us. In fact, whenever I told you the, the, the chapter that we were going, your mind already went to the song that went along with it. I understand how that goes because that's how I grew up. I grew up hearing about and learning about the fruits of the Spirit. But how many of you guys know that the fruits of the Spirit are a result of the Spirit of God living inside of us? That's truth. And so it's, it's synonymous. If, if I'm living in a relationship with the Spirit of God who has taken residence in me, the moment I said yes to Jesus, the natural overflow of His Spirit are the things that His Spirit produces in my life. Jesus said that you will know them by the fruits that, that their life produces. And, you know, and, and I just want to tell you guys, as followers of Christ, if our life is not producing fruit that, that, that shows Jesus through us, we need, to, we, need to, we need to say, Lord, well, I need some help in this area, all right? I mean, because we are called to be a, a, a representation, or I'll say it another way, you are called to be a representation of Christ because you said yes, because his spirit is alive inside of you. So the fruits of the spirit are the evidence of an internal work that's taken place in your life. And so in, in, in today, the, the, the focus of my message and its title is Hold On. And so the title, or the, the, the focus of the message, I'm going to be talking about the one fruit of the Spirit that I probably have the most problem with, okay? Now, it's, it's my issue, all right? I've got issues, all right? And my, my issue today is with the fruit of patience. Am I, am I the only one? Okay, so all right, there's, there's four of us, praise God. The rest of you, you might not get anything, but I'm going to have fun regardless, all right? So I have problems with being patient all the time. And it's amazing how when you become a father, you can see the traits that you possess passed on to your kids without even trying. I've got, an eight, I've got three boys, eight, six, and two, and my oldest son, Titus, he is, he is my son through and through. That boy doesn't have a patient bone in his body. And he, he's, the type of, he's the type of boy that um, uh, he just struggles with having to wait for anything. And, and I remember, like, in order for him to do anything like, that required him to wait, we, we, we came up with this brilliant idea that we would set the timer on the microwave. We'd say, Titus, Titus, in five minutes, you can, you can play the iPad, all right? In five minutes. And so and he'd say, well, you know, so he'd ask, you know, like 20 seconds later, is five minutes up? You guys know what I'm talking about if you've had kids. And so finally, we just... Uh, 
we set the timer because we were just tired of talking to him. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we set the timer, five minutes. And my son Titus, the impatient boy that, that has, has come from me, that is me, he would go to the timer, or to, to, the, to the microwave, and he would watch the time, 4.59, 4.58, 4.57. He'd watch that sucker all the way down till it hit zero and it beeped, and boom, he was on a beeline right to me. Dad, it's five minutes, can I play the iPad? Yeah, you can play the iPad. He's just not patient. I'm not patient. I need to work on patience. You see, understand that um, the struggle with patience oftentimes is that when we're being patient for something, especially for something that God has promised, when I'm having to be patient for something that God has promised, oftentimes I'm having to be patient for something that, that, that I can see or that I can formulate a plan to get to. This is the struggle with being patient. Because oftentimes God will, will, will give, give you a promise. And, and the natural response to God's promise oftentimes is we begin to cultivate a plan to get to what God has promised. And therefore, what the, the result of that is that if I get to what God has promised before he's prepared me to handle it, I'll blow it. And so what I have to learn is that when I'm responding and living my life in response to a promise of God and this, this patience that God is developing in me to receive it, the, the, the struggle is not getting ahead of God to try to attain something that I'm not ready to handle in a moment. Does that make sense? And so we're talking about being patient today. Or, or like I said, the title of the message is Hold On. Sometimes you just have to hold on until God's promise is ready to come to pass in your life. Everybody say, hold on. What God is saying, God is saying, hold on for a reason because he's working something in you so that he can work something through you. I was, I'm going to try this side. That was a really good word, by the way. You see, oftentimes, God is saying, hold on so that he can, so that he can work something in you in order that he can work something through you. Come on, you guys are getting it, all right. This is what God is doing when he's just saying, hold on. I love this verse in, um, in, in 2 Peter verse 3, 9, and I came across it in the New, Liv the New Living Translation, and I love the way it's worded. And it says, the Lord isn't really slow about bringing about his promise, as some people think. No, he is patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everybody to, to, to repent. So understand this, that God is not slow that's the first thing he says god is not slow in about bringing about his promise and i and i you know i hear this all the time and and i i do believe that in some cases it's really true but i think in a lot of times it's it's maybe not the case we just don't necessarily have an understanding for for what we're what's being said here i hear people say this all the time well i'm just waiting on god I, i've got a promise but i'm just waiting on god to make it happen and, but but re, in the reality, guys, I think most of the time, the reality is what is happening here because what the Word says is that the, most of the time the reality is, is that God is actually waiting on you to be prepared for what He's promised. You see, if we would truly just step into and lean into what God is doing in a moment, that helps the preparation take place so that we can handle the promise that God is wanting to give to us. You see, God is not slow. And I feel like sometimes, and, and, maybe, and, and maybe you guys have been here, whenever I feel like God has told me something, he's given me something, I've seen vision, I have vision, I understand what God is promising, I'm, and I'm ready for it. Anybody else ready for what God has promised? I find myself ready for what God has 
said he's going to do. And I find myself doing this. Is it time, God? Hey, God, remember that thing you told me. Is it time? Can I have it now? I'm, I'm impatient for it. But in reality, I think God is on the other side of, the, of, of, of heaven saying, T.W., is it time? Are you ever going to prepare yourself? Are, are, are you ready to handle what I have promised? You see, God isn't slow in about bringing about his promises, but he's patient for your sake. You see, God is waiting patiently for us to be prepared to handle what he's promised. Because sometimes you got to just hold on. Because those promises they don't come about just like this, like we want them to, because it's not because God is taking his sweet time. God knows that he doesn't want to see a promise aborted because we're not prepared to handle it. Hello. Come on. Guys, this is good. You have to be willing to hold on. You see, he's being patient for your sake because he's working while you hold on. So today, guys... I want to quickly look at a couple of stories to help illustrate what God is doing in those times that we're just holding on. I would imagine that maybe there's some people in here that you feel like at this season of your life that you're just holding on. That it's all you can do to just hold on to get to what you feel like God has promised. That you feel like hope is something that you don't even, that you can't even muster because you've been spending the last season of your life just holding on, waiting for something. This message is for you today and we're going to look at a few, few lessons and few things that God is doing as, as we are holding on. We're going to look how, uh, the, how we need to position our heart so that we'll be able to receive what he's doing in this season of holding on. So if you would, you can go with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, and we'll read verse 24 through 30. And the word says in Genesis 32, 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he, had, that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to them, so he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Your, so he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God, or another word is, for you have wrestled with God and man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named that place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life have, has been preserved. So I want you to understand why Jacob wants a blessing in this, in this case. And I just want to tell you that I feel like there's two reasons that Jacob is looking for and seeking a blessing in this instance. And I just want to let you in on a little secret. There's not a spiritual thing about it. Because we read beforehand what had just happened, why Jacob is found fleeing in this instant is because he knew that his brother Esau was coming. And if you remember the story of Jacob and Esau, you remember that Jacob robbed Esau out of what was rightfully his. And if you remember about Esau, Esau was big, burly, hairy, strong, and ugly, a lot like me, all right? And Jacob wasn't so much. Esau, he, Jacob was afraid of Esau. So Jacob in this time is found fleeing from his life because he thinks his brother's going to kill him. He's scared. 
There's nothing spiritual about what Jacob is seeking right here. Jacob is looking to preserve his life for another day. And so he's begging for a blessing. The second thing is that, um, that we see is that, that Jacob has this amazing promise given by his father that he also deceived. His father didn't know that he was blessing the younger brother. Jacob stole a birthright and he, and he stole a promise from his father. But here's the thing. He stole a promise that wasn't his, and Jacob is, is living outside of that promise. Jacob has a promise, but he's not seen it come to pass. You see, Jacob, he's finding this himself in this place of just holding on, just trying to make it, just trying to make it through another day, just trying to survive, and he finds himself literally holding on to the, to, to the Lord's legs saying, I need a blessing. I need a blessing because I'm scared. I need a blessing because I'm worried. I need a blessing because I feel like I have promised, but I don't see how it's going to come to pass. I need a blessing. And I want to tell you here that, that he's scared because ultimately it was his past sin that's got him in this, in this place. And you got to catch this, that his deception, the deception of Jacob's life, the reason, see, when Jacob, um, his deception was only living up to the reality of his name. You see, oftentimes we'll only live up to the greatest reality that we see of ourselves. And if I never understand what God says about me, I'll, lev- I'll never live up to my potential. Jacob, up until this point, you understand that part of his name means deceiver and trickster. He was only living up to the reality of who he was called. Every time someone spoke his name, it was reminding him of who he was. You're a deceiver. You're a trickster. And so Jacob is living up to this reality of deceiving his brother, tricking his father. He is what his name says he is. You understand what I'm saying so far? This is significant because of the blessing that he receives. Now pay attention. He was only living up to the reality of what has identified his life up to this point. Deceiving and tricking people. Now he's faced with the consequence of his trespass. He's faced with the consequence of his trespass, and he finds himself wrestling with God. And in verse 27, the word says, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have wrestled with God and man and have prevailed. Now I want to talk about this word striven or wrestled. We know what that means, and we can picture what that means, because the word does a good job illustrating that. It says, Jacob wrestled with God. Everybody say with. We need to catch that because it's really important of what this with means. And let me give you an example. I wrestle with my boys a lot. I mean, we have straight up epic WWE smackdown events in the basement of my house. I wrestle with my boys. I'm rough with my boys. I need to teach them to be tough. And so I wrestle them. And it's fun. I have fun. They have fun. I wrestle with my boys. But let me just let you in on a little bit, little secret here. I don't wrestle against my boys. The word says that Jacob wrestled with God. He did, it doesn't say that God was against Jacob. You see, there's something about when that word with that says that the, the picture that paints this, this, this reality of a partnership that's being developed. You see, when I wrestle with my boys, it's not so that I can beat my boys. 
right? I wrestle with my boys and my oldest son, Titus. He'll straight up do a leg, Hulk Hogan leg drop on me when I'm on the ground. My, my six-year-old Trig, he's fearless. He'll stand on the back of the couch and Rick, Fair, Rick Flair superfly off that back rope and just belly flop right on me. My two-year-old Taven, he'll run up to me and just kick me as hard as he can. And we're, and, but we're just having fun. What, you don't play with your kids? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, we're having fun. But here's the thing, guys. I guarantee you I have had at least 500 matches with my kids, and I am 0-500 against my boys. Every time, no matter how much, I'll, I'll start to win. No matter how many times, I'll take them and I'll throw them in the couch. No matter how many times they come at me and I roll them over and I, and I get on top of them for a two count, they always kick out and they come back and they beat me. I am 0-500 against my boys when I'm wrestling with them. Why? Because I'm not against my boys. I'm for my boys. And so my sons will say, my dad is really tough, but I can beat him in wrestling. See, my boys are victorious. You see, there's something in that. You see, I'm not, fight, I'm not wrestling against my boys. I'm wrestling with my boys because I'm teaching them what it is to, to struggle but to be victorious. You see, guys, God wrestled with Jacob. He wasn't wrestling against Jacob because God had something for Jacob. But in order for Jacob to take hold of what God had for him, he had to wrestle with him. In other words, he had to hold on in a moment. God wasn't saying, you have to beat me. You have to come against me. He's saying, Jacob, I've got to prepare you in something right now. And in order for you to be prepared for what I have for you, I'm going to work with you, son. I'm going to make you stronger in what he's saying here. You've got to understand the blessing that, that was the, the, the reality of this blessing. God didn't snap his finger and make him a nation. What God said is that your name will no longer be called Jacob. You see, at this moment, God is giving Jacob a change in identity. Up until this point, he's a deceiver and a trickster. And God said, Jacob, you don't need a new blessing. You need a new name. He said, I'm not going to call you Jacob. Your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. And this word Israel, this word Israel, it means God prevails. You see, what he's saying in this moment is he's saying, Jacob, you're not a trickster. You're not a deceiver. In fact, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to wrestle with you. And if you just hold on, you're going to be victorious. I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a new identity. But you see, in order to get to a new identity, you see, this name that means God prevails was the name given to him so that Jacob would no longer see himself as his name used to define him as a trickster and a deceiver. He was given a new name so he would begin to see himself as the reality of, of, of the match with God showed him to be, and that is victorious. You see, the blessing wasn't in a, a, a something new the blessing was in a name change the blessing was in a new identity that jacob could see i'm no longer who i used to be is anybody in this house thankful that you're no longer who you used to be because you've been given a new identity in jesus christ you see there's something about wrestling with god where god is saying you just have to hold on for a moment because on the other side of what you're holding on for is victory sometimes you just have to hold on 
And know that in these seasons that some might be going through, God isn't coming against you. God is working something in you so that he can work something through you. Are you guys all right? You feel like this is pretty good so far? You feel like, I mean, I just, man, God's doing something here. There are promises that God has for your life. And you're wondering why they haven't come to pass yet. And God's just saying, hold on for a little bit longer. Hold on for a little bit longer. There's one more story I want to, I want to share with you. And this is in 2 Samuel verse tw- uh, chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. 2 Samuel 23, verse 9 and 10. And this is the story of Eleazar. Eleazar was one of David's mighty men. It was one that, it was one that David poured into that he discipled, and, and, and Eleazar became one of David's mighty men that we read about. David raised up giant killers, and I just want to say that sometimes to become a giant killer, you have to, you have to run around with giant killers. You have to surround yourself with people that want to see you victorious, that want, to, that want to see God's best for your life. And this is what Eleazar is doing. He's surrounding himself and coming under David. And what we read about this story right here in 2 Samuel 23, verses 9 and 10, it says this. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the, the Ahotite. Who would like that name? Dodo. That's no fun. All right. One of three mighty men with David when they defiled, when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there to battle when the men of Israel had withdrawn. In verse 10, he, ar- he ro- arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about great victory that day, and the people returned after him to strip the, to strip the slain. Eleazar and his sword. Remember, we're talking about hold on. The word says, he arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And can you just picture this with me? You have Eleazar, one man. He's standing and he sees the enemy coming against him. And Eleazar, he reaches down and grabs his sword and he begins to fight. He begins to fight one after another. And it's interesting that Eleazar's name means God helps. And Eleazar, one man, one of David's mighty men, begins to fight the armies that are coming against him. One man versus armies. And as they come against him, Eleazar, he slays one after another, after another, after another. And he's fighting, living out prophetically the reality of his name. God is actually helping Eleazar in his battle to fight those who are coming against him. This is a, this is a word to somebody here that God is faithful and will never leave you or forsake you no matter what battle you may be going through. God God's desire because he's a good father is to be your very help in time of need and this is what's happening with Eleazar God is helping Eleazar in this battle but I can imagine that somewhere in the waves of the attack of the enemy that there was a break in the action where Eleazar had a moment maybe to catch his breath and I think that, that, that in this time I would have to believe after fighting what seemed like forever that he was tired that he was ready to quit, that he was looking around and seeing if there was a place that he could run away and hide in this moment because sometimes in the middle of the attack that the enemy is bringing, it can wear you out. Am I talking to anybody right now? Sometimes whenever the enemy is coming against you, you don't, you don't feel like you barely have time to breathe because it's one thing after another after another. It's family, it's friends, it's situations, it's circumstances all coming at you and you don't understand why it's happening. You don't understand 
understand how you're going to get through it. And sometimes we get to this place to where we look, is there some place else that I can go to? And we're looking for help in other places that won't be a benefit. But I feel like in this moment, Eleazar, for a, for a, for a second, is saying, I'm tired. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to quit. And maybe he was looking around to see if there was anything else that he could do. And then he looked down. Maybe he tried to, he tried to run and drop his sword. But the word says the sword cleaved to his hand. That word cleave means united and became one. Eleazar, even if he wanted to, couldn't let go of the sword. You see, he was holding on to his sword in this moment. And let's talk about the sword. What was this sword? You see, this sword became his source. The only thing Eleazar had in this moment was the sword that was in his hand. This sword was his source of hope. The only hope he had to come out on the other side was the hope he had in his hand. The only hope that he had was found in the source that provided life in this moment was the sword that was in his hand. You see, the only, the only hope for safety that he had was the sword that was in his hand. You see, and his source ultimately became the, his sword ultimately became the source of his victory. Somebody knows where I'm getting ready to go with this because you all in this place have a sword. The word tells us that we've been given the sword of the spirit. Come on, somebody. I'm about to preach now if you'll let me. We have the sword of the spirit that we've been given, not so that we can just say, hey, check out what I have, but we've been given the sword of the spirit, the word of God that is our sword, the promise of God that is our source, the, our source of safety, our source of hope, our source of life our source of true and abundant life is found in the promise of God through Jesus Christ that's been given to us so we would know life and life to the full you see our sword is our source but in order for your sword to truly become your source you have to be willing to hold on to what God has said and God has promises for your life He's got promises that he's declared to you. And I'm here to tell you today that in the midst of the attack, the last thing you can ever do is let go of your sword. You just have to hold on. Touch your neighbor and say, hold on. I'm telling you guys, God is going to come through because he's faithful. The word says God is not a God that he should lie. He's faithful and just to, 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 to complete everything that he started. He is faithful and God is for you. I'm telling you, and if he's for you, nothing can come against you. If he's your source, he's all that you need. But you have to hold on to your sword because he's your source. And as I close... As I close, I just want to say this with one more story. How do you hold on? How do you hold on? The word says in Isaiah 40, verse 31, a very familiar passage of Scripture. It says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. That word, that word wait in the Hebrew is the word kavah. Everyone say kava. All right, four of you said it, thank you. All right. <laughs> that word wait is kava. And that word wait, what that means, listen to this definition. 
You see, a lot of times we think, wait, like we're waiting in a dentist chair, right? I'm just waiting for something horrible to happen, right? I hate the dentist. Not the person, the dentist, but the dentist office. You know what I'm saying? I, it's horrible. And every time I'm waiting in a dentist office, I have this knot in my stomach because I know that before long, I'm going to smell that smell that happens when that drill goes... It's horrible. I, I, I do not like the dentist, but sometimes that's what we picture whenever we have to wait for something. It's like torture to wait. Hello? I mean, but here's, listen to this definition, kava. Wait, kava, means an expectant hope or eager anticipation. This is the wait that we've been told to hold on with. You see, when we hold on with the kava type of waiting, it means we're holding on even though it may not be fun, even though it may not be easy, even though we might be facing attacks. On the, we, we, we are holding on with this kava hope, an expectant hope for what God is going to do. You see, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're going through. You can have a kava type of weight that says, I, 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 my circumstance might not look good, but I know who's God over every circumstance. And because he's good, I can wait with an expectant hope for what God is going to do on my behalf because he loves me. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You get what I'm saying? He's good. Touch your neighbor and say, God's good. He has you. He has you, and you can wait with an expectant hope for what God is going to do because he's good, and he's your father, and he has your best interest at heart. There's a story, that, and the reason why this verse is so amazing is because it, it's like it, it's written, and uh, in, it's speaking into a reality of what really happens in the lives of some eagles. There's stories of, of eagles molting. Not every eagle does this, but the, but the older eagles will go into a time of molting where they lose their feathers. As a result of this, they, they, they know that it's coming, and so the eagles, they'll fly up to the high places of the mountain, a place where there's a cleft, where they can go deep into the, in, into the recesses of the caves that are offered. And in this place, they're losing their feathers. And as a result, it's like an, an eagle actually has the ability to sense shame. And they doesn't, he doesn't want to be seen by anybody. So he goes to the dark places, and where once, and he loses the thing that once brought him splendor. He's shameful. And what happens is when he loses all of his feathers, this is oftentimes when most eagles die. The ones that die of old age die because of this, what right happens right here. They lose their feathers, and as a result of losing their feathers, the shame begins to take over their life, and they lose hope. But what's incredible is this. There's a study that was done that said, well, what about the eagles that live? What's different about the eagles that live and the eagles that die? And the difference they found was this. The eagles that lived were the eagles that would come out of their cave, that would come out of the recess of the rock and, and bearing their shame, and they would look to the sky, and they would see other eagles flying. They would watch eagles fly. They would watch all day long. They would watch eagles fly in the midst of what they are experiencing them, themselves. And they're watching with a kava type of weight. They're saying, and they're processing this, that if I can just wait 
this out, if I can just wait out, if I can just hold on through this season that's uncomfortable, if I can just hold on in spite of what's coming against me, if I can just hold on and make it through this time, I know I'm going to fly again. You see, that's the expectant hope that we have as sons and daughters of God. That no matter what we're going through in this moment, if we can hold on with an expectant hope for what God is going to do, there is hope, there is life, there's abundance, there's everything we need on the other side of our ability and willingness to hold on for a moment. Come on, somebody. God is so good. Sometimes you just have to hold on. It's not God. Now listen to this. Don't get this twisted. It isn't your father trying to keep anything from you. What's happening in this time of holding on is that God is preparing you for what he's promised you. God's preparing you to handle what he's promised. You see, this holding on is the process that prepares you for his promise. So boys, I just want to say, man, come on. You just got to hold on. You just have to hold on because God's doing something in you so he can do something through you. You just got to hold on for your family members that don't know Jesus. You just have to hold on for the promotion. You just have to hold on for whatever promise. You just have to hold on to come in to what God has promised you because he's preparing you while you hold on. He's working with you, not against you, so that you'll be well prepared to handle what he's promised.